Okay, here comes another one of our legendary uh, Q&A sessions, uh, this time with the author of The Patient Assassin, A True Tale of Massacre, Revenge and the Raj. Uh, she's Anita Renand. Hello, Anita. How are you? Hello there, Simon. I'm well. You can hear the full interview about The Patient Assassin uh, on another podcast. Uh, and so let's do let's do this Q and A and see let's see if we what we learn about Anita as we as we go through this. Anita, what is the last book that you really really enjoyed? So I've been very privileged in that I've been asked to judge literary awards, um, which means that I've had to read novels, which is not my normal state. Um, and I've returned to a novel that I judged for that competition for the Women's Prize for Fiction, which is Kamala Shamsi's Home Fire, because it's. It, I just think she might need to be burned as a witch. Um, the, the subject matter of the book is there is a Muslim home secretary who uh, takes away the British uh, nationality of a terrorist okay. who goes to Pakistan. And his, it's, it's a retelling of the Greek myth Antigone. And so uh, it's the sister of the, the terrorist who wants to bring his body back and repatriate it to Britain. And the Home Secretary is saying no. So it's all, it's, it's all about that. And I remember when I judged it, just thinking this is an extraordinary book, very well written and beautifully winding together myth and politics, which I love. And then, of course, you know, we are where we are. So I found myself reading it, just picking it up again and uh, seeing so many things that I hadn't seen before in it. And it really is a very lovely, difficult and challenging book. So just the kind of book I really like. See, so when you say difficult and challenging, people might go, I don't really want, why do I want to read a book that's difficult and challenging? Because your brain needs to light up. <laughs> because you do. Because it's not, reading books to me is not like chewing gum. There are, there are books that I read for just pure, unadulterated pleasure. And I have two boys. I have a four-year-old. And I have a now soon-to-be nine-year-old. He's eight at the moment. Um, so, you know, the pleasure, I, we still read at bedtime to both of them. So we're in the midst of Harry Potter, and that's a, just a joy. It's just such a joy because partly you have warm boy on your arm, you know, <laughs> and that's lovely, and you, you know, you get to do the voices and things. Uh, but for my own sort of pleasure, I've been just so steeped with the writing of this book in, in historical documents, and to actually reach into something that is a work of fiction that runs so parallel to what. I'm doing in my day job at Any Answers, you know, is, 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 is an extraordinary thing. And I think you should read books that challenge your perception. I mean, that's what they're all about. That's what they've always been about for me. It's just, you know, you should widen your, your mind. And if a book is the, the vice that, you know, you sort of turn and turn and turn and it opens your mind, I think that's brilliant. Can I just say before Matt asks his question, when you do the Harry Potter books mm. to your kids, do you do the voices? I do. And, you know, my son <laughs> is so annoying because I don't have that many talents at voices. But um, if I do one that is a bit similar to the other, you'll go, well, you're doing a Hagrid again. What's the matter with you? you know? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you doing... Was your range, Mum? <laughs> yes, Come I on. know. I know. He really objects. And sometimes I forget the voice I've used for Professor McGonagall and I'll use it for somebody else you know you know the bad thing is if i use it for a death eater and then he'll just be up how in many, arms how many voices it. have you got um i have i have about five voices i do and i think three of them may be west country <laughs> <for some reason. laughs> I don't know, according to my son okay. 
And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure they're very good voices, which is, uh, you know, why I never take to the stage, Simon. But uh, yeah, in my tiny little audience of one little boy, uh, yeah, he's, he's getting a bit picky. So those are the, those are the books that you're reading to your um, children. Mm. Is there a book that you remember being read to you as a child? Well, you know, my mum my didn't used to read books to me, but she did used to tell stories all the time. But there's an oral tradition in Indian, mm-hmm. sort of uh, in India and among Indians. So she would tell me all about her family and she'd tell me, I mean, she's a very, very good storyteller and a very good mimic and can be quite cruel. So <laughs> I would love to hear stories about her very strange cousins who all rhymed, Titu and Me Too, and, you know, sort of Bunty and Punty and people like that. And then she would tell me uh, stories about Hindu mythology, which were just uh, every bit as exciting wow. as Star Wars, you know, people bringing mountains over because they, they can't find a certain flower. So I remember all those stories very, very clearly, but she never read them from, from a book. So she read them, you know, from her mind and, and exactly what her mother had told her. So those are the things I remember from childhood. How long do you give a book? Do you always finish it? Do you have a 50-page cut-off, 100-page cut-off? Um, I give it three chapters, unless I'm judging a book, and then I will read it from cover to cover because I think you need to do, you know, the author. the Three yeah. chapters? Three chapters. Wow. I think three chapters. And that's that's at the sort of towards the more sort of callous end of our range. Some people say 80 pages. That's ridiculous. Right. I'm not reading 80 pages of something I'm hating. Right. But three chapters. Wow. You need to get, There needs to be a car chase or something. Well, there needs in, to those be first something. There needs to be a thread that you want to follow. And I think if you don't have me at three chapters I'll just wander off in my I'm brain yeah. that could be like 20 pages though it could be it could be some people write very long chapters though you know uh, but it's it, if I if you haven't got me from your beginning Quite right. yeah. to your development then I've got I've got better things to do yeah, frankly, yeah we've got, all got lives to lead I've got stuff, um, <laughs> <laughs> got stuff sorry yeah. um, is there a book you'd love to step inside of um, any number of this sort of uh, pantheon of suffragette biographies um, I would love to step into some of those. And they overlap, some of them. So you've got brilliant writers like Di Atkinson and, and, and June Purvis, and more recently people like Fern Riddell, um, Jane Robinson, who've written about this period in history, which I think is utterly fascinating, where you know people took direct action with direct results in a world of tumult where you know it looked as though nothing they would do could make a difference. So I would love to step back among this regiment of extraordinary, bloody difficult women. <laughs> well, I just like them. we, we yeah. shouldn't let that reference to suffragettes pass without saying you were on Celebrity Mastermind the other night. Yeah. I was hugely excited to see you on the You're telly sweet, as I saw. And you got every question on Emmeline Pankhurst correct. Well, it's very, very Superb. sweet of you. You know, you're the only one who's actually said that. Most of the people who texted me said, um, you know, your feet didn't touch the ground. <laughs> <laughs> And they didn't. I look like a four-year-old sitting <laughs> in a high chair. And they just so. have adjusted the chair. <laughs> they don't. There's no time. You know, you think that with the magic of television, people take breaks in between takes. Not a bit of it. Not on that programme. How did you do on the general knowledge? I did all right. She won. She won. She won. She was just out of the park. So I, <laughs> I, I was saying this to Anita before. I went into the... My, my wife loves celebrity mastermind and tapes them all and so uh she happened to be watching it when i walked into the room and i said oh it's anita she's going to be on the podcast and so she was like all right okay so i go out and i go and make a make some dinner and i come back in and jill's like your mate got everything right on emmeline pankhurst and then we watched the general knowledge and she knocked it out the park wow yeah well i don't like to brag (laughs) yes i did what was your total 
I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember. No, no, I promise 63. you I can't. Shall I tell you why I can't remember? Because it was actually a repeat and it was done last year, but nobody watched the original. <laughs> <laughs> it, was on, it was on a prime time this time around. So, yeah, everybody saw it. When was the last time you used a public library? Oh, God, um, uh, just a few days ago. So my, my four-year-old loves the library. I love the library. The library saved my life when I was younger. Um, I loved it, absolutely. I'm a passionate advocate of, of libraries. And my little boy, my littlest one, he absolutely loves browsing. It's really sweet to see it, you know, where he will just go. And he's just discovering that magic that I remember where you... He does this really strange thing, and I remember doing it as well, where you run your hand over... Um, displays of books and it's almost like a little child sort of doing braille somehow where he's just sort of touching books and touching and then he'll pick one up and get very excited about it so we we went to get the uh, gingerbread man uh, because he just loves and now you know run run as fast as you can has become the bane of my life because I can't (laughs) get him to sit down to eat but you know uh, yeah just a few days ago what book do you think everyone should read there's um it's a book actually I I buy for people I still do I, I bought it for Uh, About seven people now, I think, seven or eight people. Um, And I think it's a masterclass in journalism uh, and patience. And it's called um, The Truth About Albert Speer. And it's uh, by a woman called Gita Sereni. And it is an excavation into the man who was Hitler's architect. And so he designed some of those enormous edifices that uh, Hitler wanted to show the German people just how monument the third reich would go on forever and this is a man who denied any knowledge of the death camps and uh, he was the only one at the nuremberg trials who said i take responsibility and therefore he wasn't hanged he said i i didn't know but i take responsibility so he wasn't hanged he was sent to prison for a long time and he came out but she wouldn't have it she just didn't believe he couldn't have known and it's about how this journalist befriends Befriend is the wrong word, but becomes close to, and then just over a period of of decades, peels and peels and peels away at a man who has, you know, you you get to understand a man like him too, you know, builds this edifice of lies, really, around himself so that he can live with himself until she gets to the truth. And it's a really thick book. I mean, I I hope that the people I've bought it for read it and they're not sort of, you know, wedging doors open. It could, it's a very good doorstop, <laughs> but it is, a, it is a brilliantly written book and it's a brilliantly um, performed piece of investigative journalism. I love it. I absolutely love it. Can you give us the title and author again? It's Gita Sereni and it's The Truth About Albert Speer. Do you have a favourite political memoir? I read a lot of these things, um, and and some of them are, are, are really very, very good. The, the ones I really like are the ones that make me laugh, um, because sometimes this world of politics is just silly sometimes. Um, Chris Mullin writes beautifully. Uh, um, he served under Tony Blair. A View from the Foothills is just very, very funny. It's about sort of turning up to work and just... Realising your own insignificance, <laughs> like how nothing you do sometimes makes any difference at all. But it's a coming from that that vantage point. You look upon big, life-changing decisions that are made by powerful people and the kind of nonsense that goes on behind them. I love that. I also like another book very, very much, and and it will make you howl with laughter. It's one of those few that. Um, I've read on a train and I think people think I might be ill because I'm just laughing so much. Bridget Keenan writes brilliantly well. She wrote a book uh, called Diplomatic Baggage about being a diplomat's wife in the 1960s and 
she's posted, her husband is posted to all sorts of places, you know, Kazakhstan, Syria and stuff. And it's just, again, extraordinarily funny. Um, if you're on the sidelines watching these people at play, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's a great, great memoir. Do you have a favourite historian? I'm a bit partial. Uh, I will say William Darwin. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. But I, I mean it. I mean, I, I really do mean I wrote a book. I mean, I should be uh, upfront about it. I did write a book with, with William. Um, but before I, I wrote a book with William, and before I even met William, I thought he was a fantastic historian because, again, he, uh, he does do the really heavy and serious stuff, but then he brings colour and texture and life and puts you right in the middle of um, the situation in a way that I think you know is is it's a real gift. So I think he's brilliant. I, I think he's great. And it's original. It's original material. It's new work, and he's splendidly eccentric. And I remember interviewing him once at, at Five Live and saying that I thought he was approaching genius. And uh, oh, he would have loved that. Yeah. What did he say? <laughs> well, he, pretend, he pretended to be embarrassed. <laughs> oh, rubbish! Yeah. <laughs> he would have loved it. I was introduced to his. Uh, he wrote a book called From the Holy Mountain. Mm many, many years ago about a trip around the kind of the Eastern Mediterranean. I just thought it was just extraordinary. You know, he, yeah. he writes um, in, in another in another century, he'd have been an explorer. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, but he, he is a little bit of an explorer anyway. You know, when we were doing the book Koenor together, you know, he went and he found sort of original Persian documents that nobody had seen in markets in Kabul. So, you know, he's still is that man who... Uh, I mean, the, the book that made me fall in love with his writing was City of Gins, which I just love. Which I think is that about, came before... I think it was beforehand. I think, I think you're right. And uh, City of Gins is about Delhi, a city that I think I know. And then I remember picking up his book going, what does this man have to tell me about Delhi? And then reading <laughs> it and just, just absolutely being blown away. And again, you know, it's these periods in history which often can be, you know, presented in a rather lofty, dusty way, and he just plunges you straight into the into the smells, the colours, the textures. You'd say, when you say City of Gins, obviously the subtlety might not come out on the radio. This is D-G-I-N-N. Yes, not, not gin and tonics. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> although yes, although De me. Delhi yeah. could be that today. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's the sort of the, the magic. The, so the gin is, is, is the Hindi word for genie. So, so I wonder yeah. if it, the answer to the next question, which is your favourite travel writer, does mm. William... Dalrymple counters your favourite travel writer as well. Um, well, I mean, he's brilliant, and uh, but uh, there is another person I'm just completely head over heels in love with. Um, she's a woman called Emily Eden, who wrote during the eighteen late 1830s, early 1840s, and she was an extraordinary woman. She was the sister of the Governor General of India at the time, and uh, she was a very gifted artist. And she was just so terribly naughty. And she travelled, you know, really daring do, you know, sort of sitting side saddle on a camel, um, going to all these far reaches, again, of, of, of India normally. And she just had this uncompromising turn of phrase. So she, if she met a Maharaja, she, and one of her descriptions of a Maharaja was that he was an opium-eating blockhead. You know, so <laughs> it's, it's, she's really a fun person to travel with and travel into the past and travel into a, a, a country that I'm very interested in. Is there a book that always cheers you up? Yeah, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's again, it's a book I've subjected my my poor uh, older boy to three times now, complete with you know uh, inadequate voices. voices. <laughs> but I do, I All do from the West that. Country. We <laughs> do do the no. I mustn't What's do Hagrid the West Country. <laughs> why is why is Hagrid why is Hagrid always here in our room? Um, 
So yes, I, I do like that. But just again, it's really, uh, I mean, maybe a book that I'd want to plunge myself into with him, you know, just the idea of picking up grass and putting it in your mouth and it tastes like mint chewing gum and all of that kind of thing. It's wonderful, I think. Uh, right, that's Anita Renand. Her book is The Patient Assassin, A True Tale of Massacre, Revenge and the Raj. That interview is elsewhere. Anita, thank you very much. My pleasure.